Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there, I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, five secrets to taking a break from drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60 minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Well, hi there. I'm really excited for the topic we're diving into today because I'm bringing on a guest for an in-depth conversation about how understanding yourself, your sensitivities, and your preferences can help you be kinder to yourself, have more confidence in your strengths, and understand why in certain situations and environments and relationships, you can feel uncertain and uncomfortable and how to adjust for them. I just started doing this work a few months ago, and I wish that I had this information years ago, both when I was drinking and pushing down anxiety about what I was experiencing at work and in early sobriety to help me navigate the world when I was feeling like I was walking around with all my nerves exposed and without my outer layer of skin. Gaining perspective will help you navigate your daily life without feeling like you need the numbing protection of alcohol to shut down your brain at the end of the day and to push down your anxiety and to relax. My guest today is Kate. 
we met three years ago at an incredible yoga retreat on Salt Spring Island in British Columbia. I went to the retreat when I had been sober about a year and a half, and I was amazed at how being surrounded by women on the same path, talking and sharing and doing yoga in the morning and the afternoon. I slept in a yurt and we ate incredible organic farm meals three times a day. It all brought back joy I hadn't felt in years. I'll share the links to the retreats. They're put on by She Recovers in the show notes of this episode. I've attended two retreats in Salt Spring Island, and I'm really excited to go to my first one in Mexico in February of 2021. Kate and I connected immediately at this retreat, and she's not only a wonderful human being, but is also certified to administer and interpret the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator Assessment and is trained in Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, which helps women step out with greater courage in any area of their lives. So let's dive in. Kate, welcome to the Hello Someday podcast. I am so glad you're here. Thank you so much for inviting me, Casey. It's it's a really exciting opportunity to talk about something that I think uh, can make such a difference in people's lives. And I, and I remember meeting you so clearly at that retreat on Salt Spring. Um, and you're right, we did connect immediately. Um, I'm also excited to hear that you are headed to Mexico in February 2021. I might need to uh, check my calendar. It'd be nice to go on another retreat. Yeah, I'm going with a good friend of mine, Ingrid, who I know you're oh, yes. with as well. It's yeah. on our bucket list Wonderful. for a couple of years now. Kate, I'm really excited about this conversation. And to start, I'd love to hear a, bit, a little bit about your decision to stop drinking and how you came to that. Well, and you're right, Casey, I remember meeting you very distinctly at the retreat on Salt Spring Island in 2017. And that retreat, um, I believe it was my second retreat with She Recovers. The first one that I went to was in May 2016 in Mexico. And I was there. I was really drawn to going to the retreat. Um, interestingly, not to do with any substance use, not to do with alcohol. I was knee deep in workaholism. Um, I had separated from my partner, headed towards divorce. And I really, I remember booking it actually on New Year's Eve, 2015, just saying I need something wellness oriented. My life was uh, in all kinds of, uh, I think chaos might've been, um, probably wouldn't be too strong of a word. And then when I got to the retreat, I remember one of the things that I, that I thought of the week before was, you know, the thought of going to a, a retreat on the beach in Mexico and not drinking. I mean, who does that? Right? I know. Right? I remember thinking, That's well, so this hard. is part of the wellness and there's going to be yoga. And so when I would tell friends or colleagues of mine, I would say that it was kind of like, well, it's like a really, you know, it's a wellness oriented and, you know, they, you know, how could you not have, you know, margaritas and they're going to get, you know, giving me a hard time about it. And to be honest, I was struggling with it because I associated having a good time with drinking and vice versa. And so I thought, ooh, boy, did I do the right thing? I mean, I booked this five months ago, but I went 
And um, it was absolutely transformative. Uh, most of the women there, I would say, um, were on the path uh, of sobriety and questioning the role of alcohol or substance use in their lives, amongst other things. And I remember having a conversation with uh, Jean McCarthy, who's there from the Bubble Hour. Yeah, she's the host of the Bubble Hour. I right. was for those episodes, and I think you were too. I did. And she's lovely. I really connected with her. She's a, a fellow Canadian. She's from Alberta. And as I was listening to some of the stories, some of the women kind of sharing around kind of signals or signs of how they knew that alcohol was not a healthy part of their lives. I was, it was like listening. It was like a mirror to my own life. Mm-hmm. And yet I hadn't been drawn to that retreat to, to think about the role of alcohol in my life. But it was, it, I mean, it was front and center in my mind, um, you know, behaviors like um, hiding your drinking or, you know, topping up a glass, but not really letting anybody know. It's like, oh, this is my first glass, but it's actually your third. Yes. And people even as close as like your partner, kind of not being honest with them about your drinking. And I, and I kind of thought, well, I do that. And I'm thinking, but you know, and it kind of helped me tap into some of the feelings intuitively saying, yeah, I know that's not good, but to be honest, it was not the primary thing for me that was in front of me as an issue in my life at the moment. So, but it really got, um, and more, most importantly, perhaps I had a fantastic time. Yes. No drinking for a week. Didn't after the second day, didn't even think of it. So it, it, it really, um, all of these myths around how do you have fun without drinking, right? How do you have a gathering of people without a cooler of beers? And, you know, uh, it it was, uh, in my adult life, uh, you know, easily a couple of decades since something like that had happened. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety, and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. And I tell the people I work with in coaching all the time, I'm like, have you ever tried 
to see whether that is incredibly fun because of drinking or whether you just to have, have always happened to drink during that thing, which is incredibly fun. And most of us never attempt to do these things. Like you were saying, a Mexican beach for a week without yeah. drinking. So it's really hard to separate whether your life is fun because of drinking or you just happen to drink. Exactly. We just have such a strong association with it culturally and otherwise that, you know, to make a break from that um, isn't something that we do unless you, there's quote unquote, like a problem. Um, but, you know, so that was kind of the, the early path for me that I would say, one of the reasons um, that I think it's really fitting and appropriate to talk about the Myers-Briggs type indicator uh, and in, in the context of the work that and coaching that you do, uh, Casey, is that it, it, it's reflecting on and being more self-aware around the role that alcohol plays in our lives uh, usually means that there's some kind of introspection going on. There's some kind of reflection about, it's a check-in. It's like, what is going on? What's going on with my marriage, my relationships, my engagement at work, my kids? Um, And when you're getting a better sense of of self-understanding about like, you know, what makes you, you, um, you know, what are some of the tools that can help you along the way? And as a practitioner of the MBTI, um, I see it as, as one tool. It's, it's really neutral information uh, to help understand what your unique preferences are in the world. And you mentioned that at the beginning. Um, I, I've done yeah. lots of individual and group and workplace interpretations over the years. And I think it's really important um, right from the outset to make really clear that, you know, this is not about pigeonholing people. So for example, you could have someone who's an ENFP learn that their coworker also has an ENFP preference, but there's lots of things about them that are very different as individuals, but they might also learn about what some of those commonalities are, which is, uh, which is, you know, part of the learning process and being able to, you know, use the MBTI for those purposes. But again, you know, we're all unique individuals and the MBTI is a tool to assess and understand what some of our unique gifts are and learn about others and use it as uh, the ability to, um, the way that I kind of explain it is, you know, when you're in this process of, and use the analogy of, of, peeling back the onion about who we are, particularly around midlife. There's a concept of nature and nurture, right? So how much of who we are at age, example, 40, is who we were when we were a five-year-old. It's really our essence versus what we've developed over time by external influences. Could be our parents, could be society, mm-hmm. could be, you know, some, some of us are people pleasers. If we have yeah. the ability, um, a tendency, you know, towards codependency, um, you know, you might ask, so what's me and what's the influence of, of the world as a whole? And I'm not saying that necessarily doing the Myers-Briggs is going to 
because it's, it's, it's something you fill out yourself. So you're still providing that information, but you know, I think it's a way to explore that and reflect on um, what, you know, what your unique preferences are. I think that's so true. And I loved when you said the word essence, because that really resonated with me. And since I've stopped drinking, obviously, and even before I was on, you know, maybe it's midlife, maybe it's something else, this path of self self discovery. And one of the things I see is I was internalizing the values of my parents, what they thought were, you know, gold star behaviors, I should be. And after doing some work, I realized that I was overcompensating and sort of trying to fit a square peg in a round hole because my parents thought the square peg was the best. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. Um, And it reminds me of a conversation that you and I had recently. um, And maybe I'll kind of, I'll talk a bit about it now. Um, You know, when, when we look and say, you know, what is something that I've been doing and how I've been, you know, making choices in my life or, or um, living in a certain way, because I know that I get external validation from it versus is it really who I am? Yes. The the power of, and the influence of extroverts in our world. And I think that introverts really get a bad rap because (laughs) there, you know, it's associated with like, you know, being shy or inhibited um, and perhaps even like, you know, bookish and the extroverts are really where the action is. And it's important in the context of the Myers-Briggs type assessment to kind of make sure we break down some of those misunderstandings, because that's not what extroversion and introversion mean in the context of the MBTI. But also I think it's that particular dichotomy is a place to really look at how introverts bring some unique gifts to the world. And we know that one of the things you look at the leadership literature, you know, Brené Brown talks about it very much in her latest book, Dare to Lead, is the power of asking questions and listening. And introverts, that's one of their strengths, is listening and and processing and taking time if you have an introvert in the workplace or in your family and they speak up, it's very likely that they have thought about what they're going to say before mm-hmm. they say it. And for extroverts, they might think, what a concept. I'm kind of yes. thinking as I'm going along, can you mm-hmm. follow me? And maybe yeah. what I said 30 seconds ago, let me change that. Um, and so, and you, you know, both preferences are important in terms of bringing kind of their, their unique uh, gifts to the workplace, but um, to the world. But there's a, there's a book that I'll mention now for any of your listeners, Casey, who are introverts or live with introverts or have children who are introverts. And it's, it was published in 2012. It's a researcher. Her name is Susan Cain, C-A-I-N. And it's called quiet, the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. 
And as we kind of go through, we'll talk, you know, talk a bit more about MBTI in a moment. But if there is any kind of, you know, intersection or um, the concept of introversion kind of comes out in terms of you understanding your type or mm-hmm. the types of the people around you. Um, I- I've read the book. It was actually a book club pick several mm-hmm. years ago in my book club. We do it. We, I'm part of a nonfiction book club. Um, and uh, it was probably one of the best discussions we've ever had. And one thing I find with, for example, some of the women I'm coaching, and I, and I think it was myself too, when you go to events where you don't, you aren't as comfortable, maybe it's a work happy hour, maybe it's a company party, maybe it's um, a school PTA event with a bunch of other parents, a lot of people feel that drinking makes the interaction more easy. It helps make them more extroverted. And I think you're going to talk about that that's a misconception of what extroversion is, but it's a crutch that a lot of us think that we need to behave in the way that we think we should to be the life of the party, to keep conversations going, to get rid of some of that awkwardness that we all feel. And one of the things I talk about with my clients is go to an event that you typically would drink at and actually ask questions, observe what's going around you, have deeper conversations, and you might actually figure out that it's more fun. I mean, you'll certainly leave without a hangover and remember all the conversations you have. It's a plus as well, but you certainly are more present and you don't realize how absent you are when you're focused on drinking. So that idea of I need to drink to be an extrovert and to present myself in the best way at events, one, that version of extroversion may not be the correct one. That definition may be off, which I think you taught me, but also it's not necessarily that drinking and being the life of the party is presenting your best self. I think, I think all, all true on that, Casey. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. I noticed a little bit, you know, when I'm pretty, you know, somewhat new to the Myers-Briggs and you mentioned earlier a bunch (laughs) of four letter acronyms that I'm guessing the people listening to this, because I didn't 
um, may not know what an ENFJ is versus an yeah. IN. All right. Yeah. Whatever. Well, let's, let's, right? so, that sounds great. Let's jump in a little that. bit about so, that. So um, the MBTI, the Myers-Briggs type assessment uh, indicator. So the MBTI, the Myers-Briggs type indicator is based on the theories of Carl Jung. Um, it was created uh, in the 1950s by a research team. There's a bit of history, if anybody is, is interested in, look, in looking back on that. Um, but it looks at personality preferences and four different dichotomies. And that kind of, you know, we'll, we'll jump into what that looks like. Um, there's four different dichotomies. And the first one, extroversion or introversion. And what that's about in the theory of Myers-Briggs, it's about where you draw energy from and where you, what you pay attention to. And the next dichotomy, it's sensing or intuition. And what that focuses on is that how do you take in information in the world around you? The third one is thinking or feeling, and that's really focused on how you make decisions. And the fourth dichotomy, the judging or perceiving, is how, as an individual, how you deal with the outside world. Now, when you hear those four-letter combinations, that's because there's 16 possible combinations of the Myers-Briggs, and they're called types. And there's also a lot of dynamic interactions uh, between uh, the types. There's like a, a dominant function, auxiliary function. I'm not going to get into a whole lot about that today. Um, but, you know, I think it might be, uh, you know, a way for listeners to understand this and kind of get a sense of it is, well, let's talk about a couple of examples. Okay, so um, you, the Myers-Briggs can be used in a lot of different settings in terms of like teamwork, you know, to understand what, who you, what your coworkers strengths and preferences are uh, in relationships and, um, you know, and gosh, I'm thinking of different environments, yeah, you know, teamwork, uh, people who are on a kind of a career uh, development uh, re-exploration track is to kind of go back and say, I'm really rethinking a career process, uh, decisions about what kind of occupation. And there's some, the Myers-Briggs can be really helpful there. Yeah, I actually really want my husband to take it now that I'm kind of diving into it. You've been married for 18 years and, and I know him and there are certainly parts of him, um, that are wonderful. And I so appreciate it. And other parts that, um, you know, I realized with myself that I'm very uncomfortable with disheart, not, I really love Mm -hmm. harmony chips in all way and in all ways. And I'm sensitive to negative emotions, even if they're not directed at me, just if they're in my same space. And I've always tried to make him accommodate my sensitivities. And I think it might help me to intellectually understand. Absolutely. I've with, with previous partners, I've always, perhaps not in the first few weeks, I've always done the Myers-Briggs with them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. I'm sure they love that. They're like, yeah. okay, let me and assess usually, your You know, now I can kind of figure it out, you know, without them actually doing the online indicator or old school from years ago, it was a paper indicator. But what, so 
you know, if you don't mind, Casey, let's jump in. Let's, I want to, I want to kind of hone in on that example that yeah. you said around, Absolutely. you know, really wanting harmony and, you know, your Myers-Briggs uh, type, the ENFJ, extroverted, intuitive, feeling, and judging, that NF combination, um, and it appears in four of the 16 types, is what it's called as the idealists. And, uh, you know, really focused on, so for the ENFJ, it's, and it's so interesting, you know, given, you know, the work that you're doing and the gifts that you have that you're bringing to the world, you know, it's a big theme for the ENFJ is mentoring, tapping into and seeing the potential of people and become, you know, helping people become more of who they are using your communication skills, warmth. Um, what are the ideals? So again, idealists, right? So looking at what are the ideals and how can we be closer to what our ideals are, bringing out the best in others. And there's lots of, uh, lots of gifts. And then there's always things from, um, based on our preference where we, what's called based on young, it's kind of a shadow. So what are the areas that we might not be paying attention to? Or what are the areas that bring us out of preference and conflict, right? Something NFs and conflict, it's a bit of a tough one because the, 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 the need and the wish for harmony um, really requires conflict to be openly acknowledged and addressed. Um, I'm going to throw a bit of a, 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 a different uh, lens on this versus some of the Myers-Briggs types. Um, and I'll, I'll put mine out there as an example, the ENT, ENTJ. Yeah. So that NT, the intuitive sensing, thinking and feeling. So that NT combination of those two dichotomies, um, you know, you better be prepared. If, if you're an ENFJ or if you have any NF combination, maybe you're an INFP and you're doing a presentation, say, for your team at work, and you've got NTs on your team, make room for debate. Make room for being challenged. Which can feel exactly, like conflict. It's not. And that's the power of yeah. understanding preferences. Because if you perceive someone saying, hold on, hold on, I want to go back to that slide. What do you mean when you said this? What evidence do you have to back that up? An NT, what's fundamental to that type is rational, evidence-based. Help me understand this. I need to understand, you know, what is some of the evidence? Um, They're very, very structurally, you know, there's a structure, there's a path. and also, as opposed to an ST, an NT wants to understand the big picture. So the questions that the NT is asking mm-hmm. isn't so much questioning you on your facts. It's help me understand what you said so I can get the overall message of what you're saying as an NF, mm-hmm. as an idealist. So, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and that kind of dynamic from a preference perspective, the NF, the idealists, the NTs, the rationals guardians, the SJs, um, very focused on, on the, between the, the S 
uh, sensing and intuitive dichotomy, very focused on facts. And the J is kind of wanting structure. So SJs are really important because mm-hmm. they play such an important role in the world, you know, overseers, supervisors, protectors. You think about law enforcement or accountants. You need people who have generally those preferences. I think it's funny that you put accountants and law enforcement in the same category. I would never think that those personality preferences would be one similar. When studies are done, and this is one of the things that's really one of the strengths of the MBTIs as a, as a tool, as a, um, as a preference indicator, is that um, there's been longitudinal studies um, and to validate the instrument. And they've done studies to look at what the overall distribution of occupations are by the 16 mm-hmm. types. And, and again, I'll go back to my caveat that absolutely everybody brings their individual history, their individual influence, um, their cultural uh, background, uh, their gender perspective, uh, you know, whatever their life experience is. Um, And I think that's really important, you know, to provide that context. But the research does show is that according to type and preference in this assessment, that occupations do fall into some of the common quadrants. And the SJ, the guardians, uh, tend to be um, those who very much are focusing on, um, you know, for that that S uh, preference, just the facts, please. <laughs> what, where, when, why, and how. And yeah. I need to know that. And so the other um, preference type on that dichotomy is the intuitives. Mm-hmm. So what they might say is, yeah, okay, I can see it all now. I get the big picture, um, future oriented, you know, looking at possibilities, getting the big picture. An example around the sensing types and intuitive types, um, use, use an example here when it comes to communication. Um, if you think in the workplace, I was involved in a project at one point where uh, it was a large 900 person organization where our uh, employee intranet needed to be redone. And being kind of the senior leader who was accountable for that, you know, my role was uh, looking at, you know, quality time, making sure it met user needs, budget, all of those kind of things. And I had a vision for what some of the improvements could be for that intranet. Um, was, was I the right person to really get involved in two-hour meetings going through the information architecture? No, right? Not only because the, you know, the, the, the role I had in the organization, but the kind of meetings and engagement that I would have with the team um, was very much you know, at that kind of vision level. Um, and, and trusting and making sure the people around you, that you've got someone who has that sensing type preference um, to go through and understand all of the details and ask all the questions and make sure you're asking users everything you need to know, um, you know, to build that. Yeah, in terms of the S and the N dichotomy, I think that's perhaps an explanation of that. Quick question for you. 
I know a lot of the women that listen to this may identify as people pleasers or overachievers. That's kind of two two areas that I hear a lot about. Um, The idea being like they have overflowing to-do lists. They have a lot of responsibilities. They're super busy. They're trying to exceed in every area of their life, whether it's work or home. And they're really feeling overwhelmed by it all or like mm-hmm. it's unsustainable. Is there a personality type or or can you tell me the different personality types and how that may contribute or support mm-hmm. or cause tension with that sort of I feel like so many of us are in that place right now. And when I was doing that, I keep looking around and saying, how come everyone else can cope with this? Whereas I can't, and I'm sure all of that was internal and people on the outside couldn't see. And yet I felt like I was breaking to some extent. And let's be clear, drinking a bottle of wine and I did not help that situation, (laughs) but just curious Mm -hmm. about the Myers-Briggs and how may or may not help or not help that sort of building your schedule to overwhelm. I think the most important value out of doing an assessment such as the Myers-Briggs type indicator is to figure out what are some of the preferences that you have as an individual. When you, when you find out, okay, let's say that you you do the assessment and your type comes out as, let's say an ISFJ. So you have an intuitive preference, sensing, feeling preference, and judging. And once you know whatever and whatever those types represent, once you know that and you are able to take that and reflect on what are the areas of your life where you may be operating out of preference, Because when you operate out of preference, it's energy, there's exhaustion. And none of us uh, in this world uh, have the ability to say, okay, I did my Myers-Briggs and I'm going to only, I'm going to live my type and my job has to be 100% and my family, like I want to be in preference 100% of the time. It's not going to happen. But if you are peeling back the onion, learning about yourself, making some changes and some shifts to say, you know, I, I want to show up in the world and be authentic. And I want to not go to work as only a means to a paycheck. If you do that and you see that the role that you have is, 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 is a mismatch in whatever balance doesn't work for you, you've learned something. Right. So if you learn that um, being in sales and being in sales with uh, a growing quota or the performance bonus percentage um, is really where, you know, the majority of the compensation will come from. If you are an introvert and again, it doesn't mean that you can't do sales. But an introvert will Mm -hmm. thrive in a sales environment through building one-on-one relationships. If the way that you do sales in your organization is constant 
presentations and networking and ways that might be draining your energy, you know, you, you get to make a decision and say, oh, okay, that's what might not be fitting for me. And you don't make a shift based on anything that um, a website or a piece of paper says. It, the, the assessment needs to really resonate with you. It's a tool that you say, okay, that makes sense. That's, that's what it is. If you, so let's go, mm-hmm. let's, let's focus on the ISFJ again. This is a person who wants to know the facts, who, what, where, when, and how, and needs to be really grounded. Like if there's a presentation or a team meeting and it's like, what do we need to do by when and what's expected? And you have a supervisor <laughs> who's telling you about the latest management brainstorm session and it doesn't get down to a level where you can understand what does it mean for you. And, and that's where what it means is it doesn't mean that your supervisor or manager doesn't appreciate the details. It doesn't mean that they aren't accountable and appreciative of the work of the, of the team. What it means is that they have a different preference. And so it's appreciating and having a dialogue that's respective of that, you know, to know that. When you think about the difference between if there's a thinking and feeling preference, um, and again, I'm going to use a workplace example because that's that's what I'm most um, familiar with. From a communication point of view, those with a with a and I'll use I'll go with kind of the NF, an intuitive feeler, an intuitive thinker. Use those two preferences. Um, someone who's got the NF preference is really because they they are those idealists and they're very much focused on um, looking at the impact of of decisions and the workplace and when thinking about people as an individual, you're also Mm -hmm. going to be looking for feedback as a person. And it's not going to be just every two weeks at your biweekly or quarterly or once a year at your performance review. And for NFs, that feedback is a powerful motivator. And it's huge. It's, It's powerful stuff. That's 100%. Um, that's me. Like I need, I had a boss who was super cut and dry, who didn't give a lot of positive feedback, who didn't give a lot of reactions at all in any way. And it was extremely unsatisfying for me. And I had a, jo- a boss previously, exact same role, exact same job, who had a different style and I was extremely motivated. I think it would have helped me to know that it wasn't me or it wasn't her. It was just her style. And I did not have that understanding. I felt like she didn't value me when it was it wasn't necessarily that. It was just that because of my preference, I didn't feel millions of NFs are with you on that, Casey. (laughs) Um You know, and one of the strategies in that situation, um, and one of the, you know, one of the, the strategies that, that I'm aware of that's been used effectively in that situation is if your supervisor um, is an NT, the times where you may get feedback from them is related to corrections or clarifications or feedback that's, can, can you, (laughs) I I noticed X, um, you know, can you revise this? Can you take another look at it? Um, So they're 
clearly engaged and, and, and knowing what's going on with your portfolio and your accountabilities, but the time that they might be in touch relates to, um, you know, what's seen as, oh, great. I hear from my boss when, you know, when it's something that isn't positive. Or I did 17 things right. And all I hear about is the three Absolutely. things. And, you know, for some folks, this can be the family meeting or a date night or, you know, ex- you know explicitly saying things like gratitude exercises, right? Things that we, yeah. if you, if you're an NT and you find like you are focusing on your deficiencies and the deficiencies around you and things that are wrong, it's like we need to understand our type and what are some of the strategies that can bring us into better self-awareness and mm-hmm. bring us into a place where we are more balanced and um, paying attention to the things. And what I liked us. earlier that you said is that it's understanding yourself to empower you to get what you need. And I think a lot of times when we're drinking, we aren't able to communicate clearly enough to get what we need, or we blame ourselves because we drink too much and then we're hungover and we're overcompensating and self-sabotaging. So you don't, you're in that cycle and you don't realize that, Hey, regardless of that, or maybe that's a symptom of not getting what I need. And part of that is because I'm not communicating it, or I'm not even aware I'm beating myself up because I feel this way, but I feel this way for a reason. And there's nothing wrong. I always say like, there are no bad emotions. Any negative emotion is simply a signal that you're not getting what you need. That's right. So Kate, I know we've We've gone into a bunch of examples and situations of different personality types and how they may affect your interactions and your self-perceptions as you navigate the world. But can we come up a level and just give the listeners sort of a a broad picture view of the Myers-Briggs and what you should know about it? Absolutely. And I would say that there's three things, Casey. The first thing I'd say is, as an assessment, the Myers-Briggs is a tool to help you get to know yourself. So what makes you, you? What makes you tick? What makes you unique? And this is a time where, um, you know, we may be going through a lot of reflection and assessment and looking back and looking forward. And it's an opportunity to check in get out of your head a little bit and have something that's a really uh, well-researched, validated tool um, to give you some information and learn about yourself. The second thing is, how can you use that information to understand and appreciate others? That can be your family. It's the workplace. um, It can be your, you know, it can be anyone. But when you understand yourself better, it helps you understand and appreciate others as well. And what the Myers-Briggs does is it shows what your gifts and your preferences are. And even if the people in your family don't also do the assessment, you know, chances are you might have a sense and say, wow, if I've got that really strong um, need for the deadline and everything that we do, can we please put it on the family calendar? And why won't people listen to me 
it's not because they don't want to. Yes. It's because they're like, well, it might change. I don't know what's going to happen Saturday. That's why I didn't write it on there. Okay. So it's like, oh, they don't, you know, maybe your partner doesn't feel the needs. Like, let's just keep it open. I don't, I didn't RSVP yet because I wasn't sure. So you understand, right? Yeah. And you could be like, why doesn't he value me? Why can't he support me and what I need? And the truth is exactly. he's operating out of his own preferences and is wondering why you're trying to nail him down. It's just, it's just a different preference, which when you're in it, it, it feels personal. And I think that's actually an excellent point, Casey, is that, you know, the, the, the assessment, the, the MBTI type allows you to see kind of what your unique preferences are um, that you're doing because that's kind of your operating system, right? And your partner, and he might have a different operating system. Now, having said that, to understand and appreciate others and to live, you know, in, <laughs> under the same roof sometimes means that we do need to work on a preference. So it might mean that when there's an agreement that people are going to put stuff on the family calendar, even though that might not be the first thing that comes to mind for them, that they do it. And also when something gets missed, that there's some flexibility and some leeway. Yeah. Yeah. The third thing that I think is really powerful about the MBTI assessment is that those insights that you've gained from getting to know yourself to understand and appreciate others, it's take those insights and what can you do to put them into action? So you've learned, you've got that knowledge, but that's really just the beginning. So what can you do about it? And, you know, as I mentioned, the MBTI is used for people who are doing kind of career exploration. It's, it's applied in the workplace around teams and conflict. Um, and, but there's so many ways, you know, you know, what, what can you do with that information? And it may be that you, you know, want to do the MBTI because you've always heard about it and, or you did a, you know, online assessment, you know, five years ago, and you're just curious to, to see where things are at. You don't have to necessarily turn it into action. Um, but depending on, on what your objectives are, um, and again, peeling back that onion around self-awareness and to see at a time of change in your life, when you're making changes that are, you know, focused on just making the shift to feel more authentic, um, to change behaviors that have become routine but you just know aren't working for you and and that's where you know for me I mean I'm I alcohol is is not a part of my life because I made the choice that it just didn't work for me I'm not sure for me necessarily the Myers-Briggs was was part of that but self-learning and self-assessment was those are the three things I'd say get to know yourself understand and appreciate others and then with that knowledge that you've learned how are you going to put it into action if you feel like it, if that's what, if that's what works for you? And I think it just helps women who are often so hard on themselves and have such a strong inner critic voice, give themselves more grace and forgive themselves for not measuring up to what their parents have told them they should be or what the workplace values or what their bosses 
is telling them to be, or maybe a partner who says, why are you so sensitive? Um, Just understanding who you are helps you navigate the world, give yourself a little more self-awareness and understanding and focus on what your strengths are. Because I feel like you mentioned the shadow. All we deal with is the shadow. All we think about ourselves is the shadow and not the benefits of the way we function in the world. So I think that's really helpful. Kate, I think those three things that people should know about the Myers-Briggs and how it can apply to them, their life and the, the ways it can contribute are really important. And I'm glad you summarized it so clearly because I have trouble doing that. But if women listening to this want to dig a little deeper, want to understand what their type is, what their preferences are, and how to apply it to their lives, do you have a couple of resources that you think would be helpful to refer these women to? And I will also, of course, put anything you mentioned in the show notes for our listeners so they can access that. Yeah, there are some good online resources. The way that MBTI works as a company is that they train and certify people such as myself uh, across the world, actually. Um, but particularly, there's uh, two companies, uh, they're different companies, one in the US, one in Canada. Um, but there's good online resources that are what I call is kind of reasonable approximations. And officially, I'm not really supposed to actually say this, but I will. Um, one of the websites, it's idrlabs.com. And they have an online self-assessment that I have used before. Um, it approximates the MBTI test. And uh, so that's a, I think, you know, if you want to give it a go, um, take a look, do the assessment and, and, and then there are resources on, um, I think it's actually the myersbriggs.com is the U.S. Uh, company that's um, does certifications and training. There's so much MBTI on the internet, um, so much MBTI information on the internet. It's really um, a bit of a crapshoot. So I would say idrlabs.com and then the myersbriggs.com um, to get some more kind of more official information. Great. And I know you are also able to do the assessment. I do. So I'm certified in Canada through a company called Psychometrics Canada. And the way that that I work with clients is doing an online assessment. And then normally uh, for, well, especially now in the world of COVID-19, doing uh, Zoom or FaceTime uh, interpretation meetings. So what I'd like to do is invite any of your listeners, Casey, who are interested in doing the official MBTI assessment and having an interpretation meeting, um, I'm offering that for $99 US and would just love to explore what the MBTI means uh, for you in your life and then leave you with some resources to explore it on your own further. I think that would be really helpful. And thank you for offering that to the listeners. Um, I will put your contact information and how they can get in touch with you in the show notes of this episode. And I think I'm going to have to take advantage of that myself because I know that that I've done it 
at a high level. I have to admit, I did it through the internet. So I don't know if I used the right resource, but I'm so interested in this. I don't know if my husband will go for it too, but we'll see. Um, he might. I have a feeling you're persuasive, Casey. Oh, you do? <laughs> you're a good communicator. It's one of your strengths. All right. Cool. So anything else you want to touch on? I think this has been so helpful and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and to help share with us how this can help women in general life, in work life, uh, as they're quitting drinking, how to understand how to navigate the world so that they don't feel like they need to numb out or have assistance to approach different situations. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, when this, when you're going through a time of change and um, not wanting to numb out and to learn, it's pretty easy to get down and start focusing on what some of you, those, you know, what your limitations are and maybe some mistakes or um, some things that you don't like about your personality. And, you know, this is a way to just flip that, get to know yourself, uh, appreciate what your strengths are, uh, learn about how you can turn that into action. and. Uh, really feel empowered um, to learn more about yourself. And uh, that'll really help in terms of um, taking the next steps forward. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Casey. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.